following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where all your mid-century dreams come true. I'm Craig. Who are you people? I am Paula. I am Dave. You want to try that with more excitement this time, Dave? I am Dave. Dave! Oh, that was really <laughs> radio. That was good radio. Oh, gosh. Those good old days of watching movies on TV. Of course, you know, you didn't have a DVR. You didn't have a VCR. You didn't have all of those wonderful things that we have now where uh, you can just record it or stream it or do whatever. We take you had to actually pause it, yeah. look yeah. in the TV guide and see what was coming on. And I don't know about you guys, but the TV guide in my house would come with the Sunday paper. Yes. And we would get the TV guide and we would plan our week around the TV guide pretty much. I mean, we, we would read be it like, to death. This is okay. Wednesday night, mad, 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 mad world's coming on. <gasps> oh! And we'd be so excited. And, and that's what we're talking about today. Mad, 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 mad world. How There's many mads? Four mads. Four four mads. Oh, very good. I've seen it as little as one mad. When people are just being abbreviated about it, and as many as five. But Dave assures me that there's four. Is that right, Dave? There are four. Yes. yes. That's what so, I learned. There you go. Before, so no, yep. no tiki this week, right? No tiki uh, this week. Was there any? No, and no guests? No guests. It's us. <laughs> it's us. It's Was the there gang. Anything? We're getting the band back together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything tiki in Mad, 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 Mad World? I don't, I don't remember anything. The closest... Uh, yeah, yeah, Paula, you mentioned before we started recording, uh, was his name Dick Dick, Dick Sean? Sean. Uh huh, yeah. Dick Sean. Uh, uh, his uh, his swing and bachelor pad. Remember Sylvester dancing around the the tiki. And yes, yeah. there was a tiki god in his bachelor pad oh my or gosh, whatever. Yes, because we were watching it just the other day, and Paula's like, "Look, <laughs> a tiki! There's a tiki he in there." I was all excited about it. That's right. Oh my gosh! Hey, before we get into that, Paula, if people wanted to find us on the internet and all that, I don't know why I even ask you because you just slaughter it every time. But hey, that's part of our. <laughs> you stick, want to try I guess. it again? It I know. I Say think goodnight, that Gracie. We're on, we're on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Mid Modcast, right? And we're on. We're also on Instagram at the Mid Modcast and Twitter at the Mid Modcast. We have a uh, some kind of website. Midmodcast.com. Midmodcast.com, apparently. Kind of some website. sort of website that we could do something with. We've got a with. hotline. 216-309-2204. 216-309-2204. Has anybody called? Have you not that I'm aware of. Man, if not you call, really. you will be such a superstar in our books. Yeah, man. That yeah. shows that we'll people even, are actually listening. 
We'll even put your voice on the show. Well, first, if as, as long as you're not selling us. Well, even if you're oh, selling well, us something, maybe who knows? Just put maybe. anything on the show. <laughs> just put anything. Whoever calls, well, you're going to be on a, a wonderful podcast with remarkable. You people. can email us also at midmodcast at gmail dot com. I knew I was so forgetting you can, something. You can do that also. Yeah, if you don't like talking, you can. You can just do a little, or you can, you know, do a little message on um, Facebook. Some people have been messaging yes. me and saying, hey, hey, hey. So, as I mentioned, we're talking about it's a mad, 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 mad world today. And this was such an iconic movie. It, part of it was they were trying to get people to go back to the movies, stop watching so much TV and go back to <gasps> yes. the movies. And so, Stanley Kramer, the producer, decided to do this big production comedy, and I'll talk a little bit more about who he was and and what he was all about in a little bit, but this actually kicked off a whole new genre of these yes big comedies they they weren't the little you know Lewis and Martin or road well, wait, wait, road to wait. whatever kind of kind Hold of comedies that were they big <laughs> comedies there were no, they were epic. epic. Comedies. Yes. They were epic. Please. That's actually, I was trying to think of that word and it wouldn't come. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Senior moment. That's okay. Okay. Continue. If you can. Oh. It's lost. What what show is this again? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Where am I? Uh, Anyway, uh, out of this, like I said, a whole new genre comes forward. And what were some of the ep- other epic comedies that uh, followed oh, this? The uh, Great Race, which oh, I yeah. also re- Natalie Wood and and Tony Curtis, Tony Curtis. Oh, my yeah. goodness. yes, I love that one. Another too. big cast in that one, Around the World in Eighty Days. That came first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great I mean, 50s. all all of these were were kind of of the same thing, but that was before Mad 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 Mad, <clears throat> Mad World. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Great Race was a spin, kind yeah, of a take after, and it, it Mad World kicked that one off. Those men and their flying, flying magnificent machine. flying machines magnificent, was another that's one. The other one, yeah, that yes. I was trying to think of. So, no, Craig, I was going to ask you: um, are, are you going to talk about this as being one of uh, the roadshow movies that were a big deal back back in that era? I hadn't really thought about it, Dave, either. but, you know, as you're going to be talking a little bit about the vehicles that are <laughs> On the quite road. prominent in this in this movie, yes. uh, we will, <laughs> I'm sure we'll mention that. Uh, so if you haven't seen this movie, set aside three hours and prepare yourself for a slapstick uh, comedy that is going to keep you it will keep you engaged. It, it's amazing. Paula and I both sat down to watch it, and neither Last one of week. us had seen it for a long time. And I think both of us were a little wondering, how is it going to hold up in the 21st century? And it does very well. It, it actually holds up really well. So I laughed. We, we recommend it. So, Dave, I'm going to, since you you have the uh, the huge spread of the uh, director's cut and all the other stuff there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot of the movie? How, how would you, uh, from Jimmy Durante kicking the bucket forward? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so the, the Criterion Collection came out in 2014. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Criterion Company takes um, movies uh, that um, are of note, 
uh, restores them, brings their audio quality back to what it should be. Um, And then they put out these beautifully packaged uh, Blu-ray or DVD sets. So the one that came out in 2014 um, is a, two blu-ray three dvd set and um it's got documentaries in there about the movie um it uh has uh audio commentary that you can listen to while you um while you watch the film but uh essentially we're talking about uh a group of people who witnessed a car accident and um that would be by the way you mentioned it was jimmy durante uh, he is um, he's playing the role of former criminal Smiler Grogan, which I'm going to talk about this uh, later again as well. But um, he crashes his car and um, these uh, onlookers pull off to the side of the road, uh, go down to uh, see what, you know, what has transpired, how he's doing. He, he kind and, of goes like. Wait, how does he get off the cliff? Wait, how does he? He just he just sailed right out there. Did you see that? (laughs) Did you see how he sailed? Sailed right out there. It was anyway. Great line. So right before he kicks the bucket, as Craig alluded to, uh, he tells them about uh, a buried treasure, and then uh, they they basically all get back into their cars and they head off on this wild adventure to see who can be the first people to get there and claim the money for themselves. And how much money was it? Do you remember? I do. It was $350,000. No, it's $350,000. It's all this dough. <laughs> a lot of dough. <laughs> it's all this, all this dough, see? Um, see? And by the way, I did the, uh, I, I, I looked it up on a, on an inflation calculator. Mm, good um, idea. $350 is the equivalent of $3,008,330.07. Whoa. So, yeah, 3, 008, 330.07 adjusted for inflation. Oh. So now we know why they behaved so madly and took off to go look for that buried loot. That yeah. dough. Or $4 yes. million tax free. Yeah. And of course, along the way, there are all of these madcap adventures that maybe, Paula, you might talk about when you talk about the cast. Perhaps. Yeah. Yes. Now, now, this movie is one of those movies, you know, usually if I see a movie and there are too many stars in it, you know, it's going to stink. But this yes. movie has way too many stars in it and it's glorious. It, it doesn't it stink is. at all. But it has a huge cast. I think I read 105 speaking parts in this movie. But uh, it it became a thing where there was so many, there were so many comedic actors in particular that uh, if you weren't in this, you weren't considered to be an A-list comedian. Uh, I'll talk about Stanley Kramer, the the director, in a little bit, but Don Rickles wanted to be in this. He didn't get cast. And Stanley Kramer talks about how if he ever went to see Don Rickles perform, that Don Rickles would single him out and start just berating him. Why wasn't I ever good enough for you, Stanley? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but uh, this, is, this is a movie that had every comedic actor that you could imagine pretty much uh, and and a lot of them were calling Kramer and just wanting a cameo, and so there are all these yeah. little cameo roles 
you know, Jerry Lewis is driving by and, and he runs over uh, Spencer Tracy's hat. You know, I mean, it's like little things like that. Uh, just amazing. But the the cast was huge. And that, Paula, that, that brings you into the show here oh, because huh? you, you're going to tell us about the cast. Yeah, but well, the, before the main I, cast. Before I had it, before I do that, you know, like you said, it was to get people away from their television sets, which was huge and coming on stronger and stronger. So they had to have an epic movie experience to get them into the theater. It couldn't just be like television. And then, well, well, when Around the World in 80 Days came out, there were like so many recognizable actors and cameo roles, cameo roles, extra length, big budgets, lots of stars. They had entrance music. There was an in- we noticed that when we turned it on, there was like music. There's an intermission. There's exit music, and the tickets are sold in ad- in advance. And they had tried to do this big epic com- comedy once before with something called Pepe, and it was just this disaster. But Kramer, he's like, I want to bring to the screen a comedy to end all comedies. And so he got together, which I loved. The thing I loved about watching it just more recently is that I recognized all of the different generations of brilliant comedians, whereas, of course, as a child, I did not. So there was vaudeville, there was television, radio stars, and movies. And they were given these very you know, memorable roles, even if they just had a cameo, you remember them, you know, you remember because they were just so incredibly poignant, I guess. Oh, and before I, yeah, go ahead. Paul, I was going to say, that's what I was referring to earlier um, when I mentioned the the roadshow concept. So the Ah. idea was before the movie went into wide release, they would do what was called the roadshow version that was, um, you know, the tickets were more expensive. They were, the movie was shown in like really fancy theaters. Oh. So it was kind of like an occasion, like you said, they were, they were trying to get, to get people out of their houses away from the TV and back into the movie theater. So, you know, it had the, the intermission, like you mentioned. And um, sometimes there was even a program that would kind of oh, you know, like list, the, theater. list the characters, the actors, what, you know what the scenes were going to be and so forth and so on. And this yeah. movie came out in 1963. Is that 63? Right. And I, I kind of, when I saw that date, I kind of giggled because my mom and dad saw this movie when they were dating. And I remember Ooh. them telling that or either they were dating or newly married. I think it was when they were dating and we lived in Orange County. So they, my mom said they drove all the way to Los Angeles and they saw it at the Cinemarama, Cinemarama Dome, yeah, which is this wow. big dome theater in Los Angeles. And with the, the sound and everything, she did mention when they were the fireworks go off in the hardware store. Oh, it's right. almost like she said it was almost like there were fireworks all around us. Holy and I, I mean, I can imagine for a 1963 person to have that kind of experience. What for her, it was so memorable and so so incredible to have this experience. So I just kind of wanted to give a little nod to my parents because I remember my mom talking about it, seeing it in 19, it must've been in 1963. So anyway, because that's, you know, right before they were married. And so here are the principles of this movie. This is a quite the cast. We got Spencer Tracy, 
not a comedian, but wonderful in this role, only has to give a little look <laughs> and you just start laughing at the big, you know, at the big W. We got, um, so he's Captain TJ Culp- Culpepper. We got Milton Berle as Russell Finch, and he's married to Emmeline Marcus Finch, played by the beautiful Dorothy Provine. Um, her mom and his mother-in-law, very t- stereotyped, uh, is played by Ethel Merman. Um, we've got Dick Sean, who was Sylvester Marcus. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't he play in The Producers? Didn't he play the the like the Adolf Hitler character Ooh. in The Producers? He was I, I'm just kind of remembering Dick Sean just always playing these crazy characters. Um, we've got Sid Caesar as Melvin Crump um, and his wife is Edie Adams. She is Monica Crump. So, and just a little side note on Mon- on the character of Monica Crump, um, that was going to uh, Edie Adams is actually married to Ernie Kovacs in real life, and Irvi- Ernie Kovacs was going to play the Sid Caesar character, but he died in a very tragic car ac- accident, and so legend has it is that his wife Edie Adams still did the movie even though it was ended up being played by Sid Caesar and it said that she needed the money. And we've got Buddy Hackett, who's Benji Benjamin, Mickey Rooney <laughs> as Dingbell, and Phil Silvers is in there as Otto Meyer. <laughs> we've got the wonderful Terry Thomas, the gap-toothed British as uh, Lieutenant <laughs> Colonel Algernon Hawthorne. Algernon. Algernon, thank you. And I, I thought... That role really made me laugh a lot. Uh, He was a standout. Jonathan Winters in his very first film um, debut as Lenny Pike. We've got Eddie Rochester Anderson. (laughs) He was the Jack Benny show sidekick, and he's a cab driver. And the wonderful Jim Backus, Thurston Howell, is is the very drunk airline owner, Tyler Fitzgerald. We've got William Damaris. uh, I recognized him right away, Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons, and he is... um, He's the uh, chief of the Santa Rosita Police Department. Uh, he's uh, Aloysius. And something I didn't realize, remember, uh, um, the cat, Culpepper is on the phone quite a bit with his wife, and she's got a very distinctive voice. And I kept thinking, who is that voice? You know, who's who's the wife? That's Selma Diamond, who's yes. Culpepper's wonderful, wonderful character actress in Night Court. You'll remember her. We've got Jimmy Durante as Smiler Grogan, Peter Falk, Columbo is wonderful as a cab driver. Sterling Holloway, you know that voice. Many Disney movies. That is Winnie the Pooh. Sterling Holiday, ugh, Sterling Holloway, this is a lot, was the fire chief. Um, Norman oh, Fell. Okay. Norman Fell's in it. Mr. Roper. He's a primary <laughs> detective. We've got Paul Ford as Colonel Wilberforce. Stan Freeberg is in this movie. Um, and you might know him from his comedy albums. He's a deputy sheriff. We've got uh, Louise Glenn um, as Billy Sue Culpepper. She's got the voice of him. We've got Leo Gorsi. You will remember, uh, I I noticed his picture. He's from the Dead End Kids. He's the the other cat. Yes, Bowery Voice. Yes. (laughs) He is the other cat. He's the cab driver bringing Monica and Melville to the hardware store. Um, Edward Everett Horton, very famous uh, character actor. Um, He's the owner of the hardware store. We've got Marvin Kaplan. And uh, as the service station, Buster Keaton is Jimmy the 
Jimmy the Crook. Don Knotts is this awesome, nervous motorist. He plays it beautifully. Uh, <laughs> Charles Lane, and you'll recognize his picture. He's been in pretty much every single Frank Capra movie ever, ever made, including oh, wow. It's a Wonderful Life. He's the airport man- manager. Zazu Pitts oh. is in it. Zazu Jeez. Pitts is the is wow. Gertie, the Santa Rosita Police Department Central Division switchboard operator. Carl Reiner from um, Dick Van Dyke Show and lots of other things. He's the airport tower controller. He's hilarious. Um, Errol Stang, you recognize he's one of the service station co-owners. And my dad's favorite part in the movie, there are three firemen standing still, played by the three stooges. (laughs) My dad would just howl. There they are, good old Mo Howard, Larry Fine, and Curly Joe Dorita. And they are Rancho Conejo Airport firemen. And they're also, I didn't even catch this, there were cameo appearances by Jerry Lewis, He's the one who runs mm-hmm. over the hat. We've got Jack <laughs> Benny. And I think I mes- mentioned Buster Keaton. Right. And uh, right. you already talked about the the plot. So I will not read again my my pop, my little plot thing. But after they, they witness this car sailing off the cliff, um, some of the policemen <laughs> come there. And they this whole madcap adventure is all witnessed by surveillance. So Spencer Tracy Culpepper is always kept abreast of every single character's m- movement throughout as they're driving through the desert. So they're all under surveillance. They, yeah, they had helicopters following Helicopters, them, all sorts of... yeah. Did, did you mention Jimmy Durante in there? Yes. In the list there? I hope I did. Yeah. Okay. You did. So, so at, Jimmy Durante, of course, goes sailing off the side sailing. of the road. <laughs> yes. And, and ends up in this basically deep ravine or off a cliff or whatever, down the hill. And he's laying out on his own apart from the car. And he, he tells these guys that there's $350,000 buried out there. And, and then, a lot of dough. It's a lot of dough. But but then he he physically kicks a bucket when he dies. And I want to know where the heck did that bucket come from and why is it right next to his foot? That's I just I've always wondered that since I was a little kid is where where did that bucket come from? from? Well that's a really good observation, Craig, because I noticed I rewatched that opening scene several times this afternoon and um I never noticed before, but there's really all kinds of litter around him. A lot of cans. uh, Oil cans and things like that that are just littered around. So probably the bucket was just part of the trash that was there. There was a lot of trash. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. But... Uh, it's it uh, kind of hilarious. Well, and you guys going to, there are a lot of great set pieces in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah. part of the set was a bucket, you know? And so one of the most memorable, there's so many crazy zany scenes getting to this big W and to the, the money. Big W where yes. it's buried. <laughs> but one of the most memorable is a gas station. And that is a piece together. Jonathan Winters in this film completely destroys a gas station and tosses its owners, you know, the comics, Arnold Stang and Marvin Kaplan through windows and walls. And when you watch this, you kind of wonder if Kramer actually consulted with Buster Keaton because it's very, very reminiscent of the old silent movie comedies. And um, anyway, there was a a guy who lived in the area uh, Stanley Kramer tells this story 
And he was there one day and he passed a gas station. And then the very next day he drove out <laughs> on the highway and it was gone. And so he can't, got out of his car. Where's the gas station? I thought there was a service station here. And it's like with magic of Hollywood, this thing was all destroyed in one take. This was not. Oh, they did that in one take. Mm, wow. This was all done. We're, yeah, we're not re- going to rebuild mm-hmm. this to try it again. Yeah, you know, and they didn't just do a little right. bit cut, a little bit cut. This thing was actually destroyed in, in time. So that kind of made me appreciate that segment even more. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. So so I just kind of wanted to give a little nod to that. And how the film. Hey, oh, Sorry, Paula, really quick side note. I remember as a middle school kid or junior high kid seeing It's a Mad Man, Mad Mad World for, I don't know, the third or fourth time, uh, figuring out that Marvin Kaplan was the guy who played the handyman on Alice. Do you guys remember the the comedy show Alice? Yes, yeah. I Kiss sure did. With Mel and Kiss My Grits. Yeah, anyway. I used to like that show. So there, Yeah, there was a guy who came into the diner all the time, and he was like a handyman. Oh, that's why I recognized his face so well. I mean, Played he was Marvin very... Marvin Kaplan. Yeah. Marvin Kaplan. <laughs> Lots of great comedians, yes. And just, uh, just I'm going to give a little note of, of how it was shot. It was originally slated to be shot in this thing called Cinerama. And it's right. this process that produced spectacular images, but it just proved to be too cumbersome for shooting. And it required an enormous camera and three synchronized projectors. So because of this wow. soaring cost, it, uh, how the West was won, apparently, was filmed this way. It is. Just, it decided to abandon the process, but it licensed its trademark for the exhibition of films like Mad Mad world and the greatest story ever told they were shot in ultra panavision which is a single camera 70 millimeter process that produced very high resolution and very wide images so in this case 2.761 or nearly three times as wide as they are high so huge. So super widescreen. So I can yeah. see why my mom felt like she was <laughs> in the hardware store with the fireworks. So it premiered on November 7th, 1963, and it was the inaugural, inaugural presentation. First film to, to um, be at Hollywood Cinerama Dome. So this oh, was cool. their first. This is where it opened. Star-studded world premiere. And um, oh, so just a couple little <laughs> side notes about it. So first off, um, Phil Silvers, also very wonderful, kind of the closest to being a villain in this movie. Right. He was he was one of the interlopers <clears throat> in this film. He wasn't one of the original five, I think, that were looking down at the car tragedy. Um he uh, actually almost drowned when he drives his car into the river oh, because no. he couldn't swim. So they called that the fatal method acting. So he actually drove <laughs> his car into the the water, which was a very funny scene. And his car just sinks. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, and like we also kind of mentioned some other films that came out of, about this. The, the movie success led to such other epic scale all-star race comedies. So that was <laughs> The Great Race. And those mis- magnificent men in their flying machine. So over the next couple of years, they all wanted to do this. Um, this is also kind of an interesting tidbit here. The roles of Melville and Monica Crump um, were originally very larger roles. I don't know why they – I think they're large, the hardware store people. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, yeah. and they were on an airplane, that prop plane, all this. They were actually oh, written right. for Mickey <laughs> Rooney and Judy Garland. To play that. Now, that would have been fun 
if they would have played those yeah. roles too. So when the production of the Judy Garland show, t- I think TV show, yeah, TV show, ran into trouble, Garland had to actually turn down the part. So eventually, so then Rooney, he got the role of Ding Dingy Bell. <laughs> Bell, oh my gosh! And then Edie Adams, who was originally cast as Emily, Emmeline, she got the role of Monica. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and we kind of mentioned a couple uh, stars that weren't on it. We mentioned Don Rickles. He, I read that he actually had something going on, so he couldn't be in it. He's just busting his chops. I couldn't imagine. Oh, that. couldn't Not imagine Don Rickles. Don Rickles. No. But Stan Laurel was offered a part mm-hmm. in it, and he made a vow after Oliver Hardy passed away that he would not act or do Stan Laurel ever again. Oh. It was just, and there's a, by the way, as a side, there's a wonderful movie about Laurel and Hardy that came out a few years ago. Yes. It's very good. I can't remember. Yeah, with John name. C. Riley. John right. C. Riley. Yeah. It's just heartbreak. It kind of, it, it it's is, heartwarming. It's really heartbreak. It is. And, <laughs> and their friendship. And so yes. in real life, he, he made that, he said, I cannot go do anything without my companion. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And and as you might have noticed that the movie does stand the test of time. There isn't a lot of there isn't a lot in the movie that is probably just of its time. You know, a lot of it can be in any time. But there is one thing and we mentioned (laughs) it. uh, Sylvester Marcus in his bachelor pad with the tiki god, (laughs) the girl in the bikini dancing and that is very much of that era. And she is doing something called the frug. That's a dance that was very popular at the that time. Frug. The frug. And it's kind of the um, like the swim. And it, it's very um, it's uh, it's in sweet charity. A very oh. big segment. It's. Who's the big dancing? Help me out, Dave. You're the the. The choreographer that, oh my goodness. Anyway, he, he made it popular. Um, and so that's, it's a very aloof, very rich. She's just kind of moving and you move your hips a lot. So Are you talking about Fosse? Bob Fosse. Bob, Bob Fosse. Yeah, yeah it's a very big, it's a Bob Fosse. Uh-huh. Um, so she is dancing the frug. In that, in those two segments that are filmed, and in, just completely deadpan the whole deadpan. time. She she's, doesn't she move is, her face. It's like her face is numb. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's she's sophisticated. <laughs> That's what the frug is. You you don't you have the sophistication right. about you, but you're swinging your hips, but you you don't care. You know, nothing really bothers you. You're above it all. You've got an air of of sophistication. Yeah. So let's bring back back the frug, everybody. Okay. Yeah, hey, a bit back. of trivia on that dancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, in the, at the bachelor pad, mm-hmm. that's Barry Chase, who's still with Barry us, I Chase. believe. Oh, really? She's in her eighties now. Oh wow. my goodness! You know what other movie we know her from? I think what? we're all big fans of this movie. Do tell. She is the she is the showgirl in White Christmas, who says, "Well, how do you like that?" Or no. kiss my foot and have an apple. Mutual, I'm sure. No, it's not the yeah, mutual. Exactly. Oh. That's it's the taste. mutual, I'm sure, girl? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Serious? I'm, now I've got to watch the movie again just to, yep. just to look at her face. Oh, that's she's amazing. darling. She's beautiful in, in both movies. Oh, well, because she's, she's, oh, yeah. she's a brunette in this. That's that's why, it, you know, in White Christmas, she's a blonde, right? And all, yes. And so. all she does is dance and swing her hips. But, boy, you remember her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, one of the and you mentioned Dick Sean, who was in the producers and uh, he's just a wonderful comedian. 
uh, it was interesting. We were watching a documentary about this film, and he was just a complete health nut in real life. He was out jogging when nobody oh, wow. jogged, and he was, you know, Mr. Calisthenics and all the rest. It shows in and, his body. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, he's in phenomenal shape, but mm-hmm. apparently he kind of drove everyone crazy because he'd be out jogging and stuff and making everyone feel guilty. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, he, when he and Jonathan Winters are are digging uh he he's he calls for a cut and he says i don't want winners in this pit with me and people weren't really understanding why and so jonathan winters got out and they they kept filming and he just went ape crazy digging and because he's swinging this pickaxe he's like i'm gonna put it through winter's back if he's oh, in the hole with me okay. So, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so, wow. but uh no just a, a real real health nut a very very dedicated to fitness and that sort of thing so oh and very uh, funny oh yeah hilarious oh, oh, i'm yeah. coming mama I'm as, coming. A, as a kid i remember just like being so excited when they showed him because I'm like, oh, he's one of my favorites. I knew I was going to. This is my favorite part. You I'm know, coming, Mama. <laughs> one of the main characters that you didn't mention, Paula, is the state of California. Because oh, it's just so it much. Such of, a character. So many different locations that they shot in, in yes. Southern California in particular. But, uh, you know, being, having grown up in this, near this era, in this area, uh, you see a lot of things, especially like Long Beach. And Long Beach is timeless. A lot of those buildings are still there today that you recognize, yes. very iconic buildings. But uh, just the scenery itself is a major character uh, of this film, I think. Yes, because so. you have it all. You have the desert and you have the beach and the, the whatever they use for Santa Rosita was just beautiful. Yeah, the fictitious and, well, town of Santa Rosita. Well, that was set, I think, but yeah. <laughs> So, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and jump in here with the the director, Stanley Kramer. He's a fascinating individual. Uh, his parents were in showbiz, and they divorced when he was very young. Uh, he ended up being raised by his grandparents, but his uncle and his mother worked for two different studios out of New York. And his uncle uh, was a distributor, and his mother worked as a secretary, something like that. So... Kind of the movie industry, Paramount was one of them, and I think it was United Artists was the other one. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, so he grew up around the film industry, born in 1913. So at the dawn of the film industry, here he is growing up in it. Uh, He ended up moving to Hollywood after he graduated high school at the age of 19. So he's kind of this Doogie Howser kind of guy. He (laughs) graduated high school when he was 15. He goes goes off to college and he writes for the school paper and everything. So he he really enjoys writing, thought about going into law school, but he kind of had a little bit of the showbiz bug. And uh, so he went off to Hollywood and he literally worked in every as- aspect of the film industry. He started out as a furniture mover, you know, so he'd move furniture from set to set and that sort of, you know, so he he went from there. He ended up working and writing. He was a researcher for the writers at first and he started writing and uh, he became an associate producer and he worked as an editor. And I mean, he knew the whole film industry from the bottom up. And I think this is a big reason that he became a, uh, a, a such a fine director and producer also. Went into the Army in 1943. He was drafted, and he worked in the Army making films with Frank Capra. And so he had that connection also. Oh. 
And uh, so when he left the army, he went back to Hollywood and he just kept working and working and he became a, a big deal. Uh, he, he made his, his mark by doing what they called message films. These are socially aware films for the most part. And uh, they were somewhat political. And so he did movies that were about racism, the defiant ones and guess who's coming to dinner um, on the beach, uh, apparently about nuclear war. I never saw that one. And he had done all of these serious films had garnered a whole bunch of awards and everything, but he had never made a comedy and he decided I'm going to make a comedy, darn it. And of course, it's a mad, 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 mad world came up in the script. Now the, the authors of the screenplay, the husband and wife team, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, they had not been writing a whole lot for a while. Uh, William Rose and Tiana Rose, uh, Tania Rose rather. And they had had a dry spell. And so basically they said, well, you know, um, the, the studio said, why don't you come up with just a concept? And, they sat down, started writing 10 pages later. They handed in this 10 page concept. The studio bought it for 300 grand. Just plop. We love this idea. And they started writing. And it's interesting in the documentary that we were watching, the script itself for the dialogue was about five inches thick. And then it had a companion script also for all of the sets and and the Action. movements and the actions and everything. So it ended up being this huge, huge script. Of course, it's a three-hour movie, so uh, it would require a huge script. But everything is thought out. And, of course, Stanley Kramer was deeply involved with that because he is so meticulous in his filmmaking. Uh, it's just amazing. Steve Sp Steven Spielberg said that he's in, he was an incredibly talented visionary, one of uh, the greatest filmmakers of all time. Just such a well-recognized filmmaker. This comedy, people were skeptical about because it was so involved and so detailed. And it really was something that people were saying, well, you're just packing it with all these stars to try to get people in. And a lot of skepticism. Some of the critics actually panned it when it came out because they had determined beforehand that it was going to stink. So they just followed that through. But it ended up actually doing very well. The critics, for the most part, really, really did like it. It was a big, big success at the box office. I think it was filmed for... Uh, maybe you guys can help me out here. I'm thinking it was like $13 million or something like that. And it earned 60, mm -hmm. but because of all of the actors and because of all of the other stuff that went into it, after everything was said and done, it netted a profit of about $1.2 million. Yeah. I heard it went <laughs> way over budget. I can imagine. Yeah. That. It, it, it didn't just have a huge budget, but there were so many people that were getting residuals and, and a cut oh. and everything else that the studio, I think it got, it ended up actually garnering the studio like 1.2 million or something like that. But That's not much. after everything said and done, it was such a successful film that as we mentioned, it, it launched this whole new genre basically of these huge epic comedies and everything. This is the first film that Jonathan Winters was really showcased in. Stanley Kramer just really loved Jonathan Winters. He's so funny. And uh, just so many great stories about Jonathan Winters. 
how he, <laughs> they were they were talking uh, some of the other stars were talking about Jonathan Winters and Mickey Rooney would just say a, a few words and Jonathan Winters would go into this character for the rest of the day so one day Mickey Rooney's goes lieutenant we're going over the top at 3 a.m. or something <laughs> like that. And for the rest of the day, Jonathan Winters is a World <laughs> War One British lieutenant, yeah. you know, for the rest and of the day. And, and he just would keep going and going. And he just had everyone in stitches at all times. So wonderful casting. Of course, Stanley Kramer was involved in that also. Just a tremendous filmmaker. Some films that I need to revisit and some that I haven't seen. Once again, he did all these different movies on these different things, fascism, uh, nuclear war, racism, and all the rest. And so in keeping with this, he took It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and he said, well, in, in keeping with my message films, this one's about greed. True. And so so that's what... He saw what he what his vision for it's a mad 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 world was. It's uh, true. It's all about greed. Yeah, there's not a there's not any redeeming characters except I would say <laughs> the I would say the one wife at the very end. She just right. didn't. She's upset. She doesn't care. Yeah, I think like, that was they can, um, they can stuff the money. Yeah, out of that was Evie. That was Monica Crump. Right at the end, you know, as she's talking. But I think the rest are pretty unredeemable. Yeah, <laughs> greed. Well, you know, it's interesting you guys uh, watched this recently. Um, of course, I never thought this as a kid, but watching it with adult eyes, you kind of, with our adult sensibilities, think no one could make a movie like this today because the price tag would be astronomical. Oh, um, yeah, because yeah, think, think about that movie. Everything in Mad World was shot on location. There, There are no... I mean, except for like the interior of the hardware store or, you know, things like that. There there aren't a lot of like sets that, that they film on. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of exterior on location shots. The cinematography is beautiful, um, yes. you know, and then how if you made a movie like this today, how would you pay <laughs> all of those actors and actresses and i mean i just can't oh, imagine stuntmen oh my goodness yeah. oh yeah it's it's interesting because a lot of the actors were still a-list actors at the time but quite a few of them were also has-beens by this time oh yeah were, yeah, yeah. but still very recognizable because they were so iconic in their acting yeah mickey the, rooney wasn't really making any big now, bucks dave or, with with your special edition and everything you were showing us before we started recording a map of all the different yeah. locations and little <laughs> dots. And it looks like there's probably about 25 or 30 dots all around Southern California on there. How, how... Right. Well, the, the so, dots are to indicate what scene was taking place where in California. So places like um, Malibu are mentioned, Santa Clarita. Yes, we noticed had Malibu. The had the tunnel scene. Oh. Uh, Santa Rosa was where the airport, uh, you know, Jim Backus uh, passing out. Uh, trying to, and then the two guys try to fly Santa plane. Rosa. That yeah, part of that was yeah. filmed in Orange wow. County too. Part of that yeah, was filmed in. Yeah, but Santa Rosa is pretty far north. That's, yeah, it was yeah. the Sonoma County Airport. Wow. Uh, Yucca Valley, 29 so that, Palms. That's Santa Rosa's up kind yeah. of inland from the Bay Area. I mean, that's that's oh. like San Francisco-ish. They had to really oh, bring oh, these yeah. people on location. That was fun. Yeah, I right. mean, it wasn't exactly. just Southern California. I thought it was, I thought it was just Southern California, but it's, it's, it's all of California. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Yep. Wow. It's, it is crazy. And, and I'll, I'll uh, try to post a picture of that on the, on the Facebook page cool. so that people can get a look at that. Yeah. yeah it's fun. So is it my turn? You're up. All right. So, of course, you can't have a road show, big event, epic movie and have run of the mill opening credits. Right. You got to have something (laughs) something really cool. If you're getting people out of their homes to come see a big, fancy movie, you have to catch them from the very beginning. So the first thing you see at the beginning of Mad World of course, after the lion roars to signal the start of this MGM United Artists release is a four minute credit sequence conceived by none other than Saul Bass. Saul Bass, along with Maurice Spender, or it might be Morris Spender, um, is one of the most well-known creators of title sequences, movie posters, and corporate logos from the era. Although I should mention here that um, uh, Saul Bass did not design most of the well-known movie posters for this film. Uh, they were done by famed Mad Magazine illustrator Jack Davis. Oh. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if you guys are familiar with with his work, but, um, he did the poster artwork, uh, not Bass. Hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, Saul Bass is the guy who designed the titles for such films as the man with the golden arm, vertigo, anatomy of a murder, North by Northwest psycho and West side story to name a few. The, the sequences are typically done with animation, vivid images and kinetic typography. So the the words move around on the screen and things like that. His goal was to create a stylistic coherent a coherence between the designs and the films in which they appear in order to reach for a simple visual phrase that tells the audience what the picture is all about. So here in Mad World, the opening credits, he shows us um, a cartoon globe of the world that is sawed open. Uh, then it's hammered back together, mm-hmm. then opened again with one of those key type spiral can openers. Um, it then springs open, explodes apart with fireworks, which reveals the film's title, is laid upon by a giant hen, cracks open like an egg, is split in half like two coconut shells <laughs> that are manipulated like a shell game. Ridden like a unicycle, exploded, <laughs> right? Exploded like a balloon, then reinflated, all the while revealing the names of the dozens and dozens of comedic actors and artists responsible for the making of this mid century masterpiece of filmmaking. So, you know, like a little flap in the world would open up and, you know, names would spill out or whatever. Clever. And yeah, it, it was super clever and, and, you know, grabbed the audience from from the very start of the film. And all of all of these um, images were accompanied by composer Ernest Gold's theme here conducting the Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. Lyrics for the theme song heard during the opening credits were written by Mac David, who, by the way, was the brother of Burt Backrack collaborator Hal David. Mm. Oh, yeah, recommend. Yeah. I remember talking about him and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So Gold's biggest achievement prior to Mad World was the score for 1960s Exodus for Otto Preminger. And I don't really know that movie. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so previously, Gold had composed other film scores for Mad World director Stanley Kramer. And uh, Craig, you mentioned some of these earlier, including On the Beach, Inherit the Wind, and Judgment at Nuremberg. That's just a little about the opening credits of the movie. Now, Craig, you mentioned while Paula was doing her doing her part of the show that she should have mentioned California as being one of the major cast members of yes. this movie, right? Well, I think another honorable mention um, should be the cars yes. that appeared in this movie. It's there. It's just. Um, it's pretty amazing the cars that you see while you uh, enjoy this movie. So when the credits finish, the film opens with an aerial shot of former criminal Smiler Grogan, as Paula mentioned earlier, played by Jimmy Durante, driving his 1957 Ford Fairlane at high speed yes. down California's Highway 74 in the mountains above Palm Desert. Oh, right. I was wondering where that was. <laughs> yeah, and and that's uh, that's part of the the booklet that came with the Criterion Collection. So Smiler loses control of his car and crashes in the rocks below, thrown from his car. The cars that had been following behind him slowly pull off uh, onto the side of the road to survey the damage. And here we get to see some pretty cool cars from the 1963. Mopar era. Did you guys happen to notice when you watched the movie, most of the cars are Chrysler's or from the Chrysler family? Oh, no, I didn't notice. Yeah. So there's Dodge, Plymouth. Yeah. All, all you see all those Chrysler family cars um, throughout the movie. Isn't the so, Sunliner a Ford? I thought the Sunliner that, was a Ford. Right. So they weren't exclusively oh, okay. Chrysler. Oh, yeah. There's also VW Bug. I forgot about that. They're, they're, the yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, mind you, due to the madcap adventures that are about to take place, many of these cars do not make it through the roughly three-and-a-half-hour runtime of the movie. But here we go. They are a powder blue 1962 Imperial Crown convertible driven by J. Russell Finch, played by Milton Berle, accompanied by his wife, Emily Marcus Finch, and Mrs. Marcus, the brash mother-in-law, who are played by... Dorothy Provine and Ethel Merman. And that car really is the pièce de résistance of the film, I think, because the styling of the Imperial and just, I mean, it, it looks like somebody who, you know, takes chances in business and made a lot of money (laughs) to drive. Right. That, that car and the Sunliner are my two favorite in this. Yeah. Because I always just love the Sunliner, but still that Imperial is gorgeous. It's, it's very, the tail is the back end is so space age and everything oh, yeah, is man. just very right. cool. And it's big. Well, it, it looks comfortable. Oh, it's, <laughs> it, it's huge. It was, it was the, um, it was the Chrysler, uh, pardon me. It was the Cadillac of the Chrysler lineup. The right. Imperial was yeah. originally only 554 crown convertibles were produced in 1963. And it is believed that today only 50, have survived. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty rare car. Uh, the car was known for its split front grille, freestanding pod style headlights, gun sight taillights, like you mentioned, Craig. Um, and they only appeared uh, on that particular year's model. Mm. Push button transmission. And I love this 
electroluminescent instrument display. Ooh, la la. So space age, right? C'est yeah. chic. This is I our era. <laughs> Très chic. It was equipped with a 413CI V8 engine. The engine supposedly packed 340 horsepower, which causes Merman's character to explain to exclaim at one point, we're in the Imperial and we're last. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's just a beautiful car. And then next up are Melville and Monica Crump, played by Sid Caesar and Edie Adams, as Paula mentioned, driving their Plymouth Fury station wagon. Ding, Bell, and Benji Benjamin, played by Mickey Rooney and Buddy Hackett, driving Bell's 54 Volkswagen Beetle convertible. I like that one. Yeah, it's me too. cute. And finally, Jonathan Winters playing uh, Lenny Pike, who's driving a Ford C600 delivery truck. Oh, he works nice. as a furniture delivery guy. Yes. Um, so... You know, they all pull off on the side of the road to survey the damage of the accident. The men all scramble down to check on Smiler, who tells them about the treasure, which we've talked about already, buried under a big W in Santa Rosita Park. Whoa! Hey, did, did you see it? The, the, the way he went sailing right out there? Did the, the, he, he just went sailing out there? It was terrible. I, I mean, just terrible. We must have been doing over 80, you know. An ambulance. We better. We yeah, ought to yeah. call an ambulance. Oh. Oh, look at that car. How could it happen? He must have gone by you doing 90 miles an hour. I wasn't doing it. He weren't standing still. I never saw such a crazy guy in my life. Let's get down there. Come on, let's go. We're going to go down there. You stay in the car. Now, Russell, be careful. Remember your condition. Yeah. Boy, the way he just sailed out there. Look out, look out, look out. There's nobody in the car. There's nobody. What do you mean there's nobody? There he is. Holy smoke. How about that? This guy's still alive, I tell you. He's still alive. Well, maybe we ought to call an ambulance for him right away. How he survived after all that, the way you went sailing right out there. Look, uh, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I have some medical experience. I, I'm a dentist. Do you think you're hurt real bad? Is he kidding? Now, just hold on, mister. We're going to get you to a hospital. You move me, I'll break up in little pieces. But what a deal. Look, there's this dough, see? There's all this dough. 350 Gs. Do you hear what I'm saying? 350 Gs. Jeez, in the park, in Rosita, Rosita Beach State Park, just out of Dago in Santa Rosita. It's in this box, buried under this, <coughs> buried under this big W. You'll see it, you'll see it under this, under this big W. You can't miss it, a big, a big W. And it's been there, and it's been laying there for 15 years. He may die. Listen, I tell you, I'm giving it to you. And don't let him kid you. Don't let him kid you. Don't let him give you the business, see? Because it was mine. And I paid for it. Paid for every lousy buck of it, you hear? But watch out. Watch out for the bulls. Lousy, stinking bulls are everywhere. Bulls all over the place. You just drive down and dig it up. Dig it all up. 
And then, and then you fix yourselves all up. Fix yourselves all up. Walk down the street like a king. Back to the old neighborhood. See the fellas, the dames. The dames all with a big hollow. Big hollow for old Smiler. Good old Smiler. Everybody's friend. And, Bell, I didn't mean to do it. Oh, Mackerel, take it easy, mister. Easy. Please, please say it don't make any difference, Aunt Bell. Please, you gotta say, you gotta tell me it don't make any difference. For heaven's sake, tell him. It, it don't make any difference. At this point, again, as we've already mentioned, Smiler literally kicks the bucket or a bucket. (laughs) 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 And um, let's see, uh, a detective shows up to uh, question the onlookers. And then basically they all pile back into their own cars to speed off to the fictional town of Santa Rosita to be the first one to claim the treasure. And, of course, uh, hilarity ensues from there. (laughs) Other cars of note throughout the film, Sylvester, as we mentioned, uh, the son of Merman's character, uh, played by Dick Sean, drives a red Dodge Dart 440 convertible. Yes. Which is a great car, too. Uh, Burl's character and British actor Terry Thomas, um, Paula, as you mentioned, Colonel J. Algernon Hawthorne, at one point they don't have a way to get around, so they rent a blue and white 61 Chevy Impala Sport Coupe. It's I noticed yeah. that one. That was eye catching. Yeah. Yeah, and supposedly the the um, the scene that shows them running that car was cut from the from oh, the okay. uh, original film. So when people came back from intermission, all of a sudden they see them in this Impala, and they're like, "Wait, where'd that car come from?" So I guess it's not explained. I'd have to go back and watch the movie. Yeah, he but, says um, we rent. He, it is explained that they rented that. Oh, it car. does. They do. Yes, okay. they do have that. Mm-hmm. Well, supposedly, supposedly there was a scene that showed them actually, you know, doing the transaction. Um, and then finally, Spencer Tracy's Captain Culpepper drives a 1959 Studebaker Lark wagon. So Perfect. what a cast of cars! Well, Pretty then awesome. toward the end, though, he's driving a, a black Dodge Dart also. Oh, maybe he. Maybe that is the car he drives. When isn't there a, a scene where um, one of his officers is driving him around? Maybe it's William Demarest. Yeah, maybe um, that's when they're in the wagon. I yeah, I, think I think that so. he's driving the Dart at the end as kind of an undercover car or something. You know, it's kind of, uh, well, because oh, when they're all driving because he's gonna. You know, we're gonna do a sting here, undercover kind of thing. <laughs> and of course, he's he's plotting on how to Get run off money. with the money because. His wife and his daughter are unsuffer- insufferable on the phone. So it's uh, <laughs> well, he's not getting the pension. He's not yeah, getting the his, pension he his deserves. Pension, his pension isn't isn't you know? coming through like it should. Yeah. And by the way, we usually mention to our listeners how you can you know like access these TV shows and movies that we talk about. Um, unfortunately, Mad Wor- uh, Mad World can only be 
purchased right now, like to rent. Um, it's not currently included on any streaming services, unfortunately. But that could change. You never know. Well, of course. Yeah, that yeah. stuff changes all I think the time. We rented it on Amazon, didn't we? Yeah, I think it was yeah, Amazon. Amazon. Mm-hmm. It wasn't expensive, though, like four bucks or something. Yeah, right. No, it was, right. It was, but we didn't see the full, you know, <clears throat> I'm not sure what we saw, version I think we, we saw. We saw it was it was like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. I'm trying to right. I'm trying to get back to that page because there are several versions at different lengths. Uh, they they just had a hard time justifying a three hour movie. I and then guess. I think when we were kids, it was cut even more for commercials and stuff. probably yeah, definitely because yeah. there are parts um, I'm like oh, I don't remember this. <laughs> Yeah, so the original Roadshow version okay. was th- three and a half hours, but then when they put it into wide release, they shortened it. Okay, here, okay. Yeah. here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, running time on Wikipedia, they have like four different running times. Oh my gosh. Uh, two, 210 minutes original cut, uh, 192 minutes premiere cut, 161 minutes theatrical cut, 197 minutes restored cut. So those are the right. the various times. Budget nine point four million and box office was sixty million. But like I said, I read in here somewhere that they only ended up netting something like one point two million out of that, which is crazy. So wow. <laughs> anyway, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Rent it. If you haven't seen oh, it in yeah, a while man. or if you've never seen it. Check it out. Yeah, I think it's totally worth it. I was reading some articles where fathers were showing their little kids, you know, now nowadays. Oh, yeah. And their kids loved it. Yeah. And their teens loved it. They said the whole family enjoyed it. So it's not something just out of our generation. It's It can be enjoyed by many. Yep. It's good, good comedy that holds up. Yeah. Any last thoughts, gang? No gang. <laughs> Well, we can keep- uh, I will just caution everybody to please be careful as you're out and about driving around because we don't want anybody to just sail right out there. Did, did <laughs> you see sail how he sailed right out right there? Out there. You, you could end anyway. up kicking the bucket if you do so. <laughs> sail right out there. All right. We beat this one to death, I think. So well, everybody take care. I think, uh, you know, in honor of this film, we should just keep going for another two hours. But, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until next time, stay swell, friends. Stay. Well. <laughs> it's a mad, 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 mad world. In France, the girls wear scanties, but on lamb chops, they put panties. I'm telling you, it's a mad, 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 mad world. A Japanese named Louie says the Chinese hate chop suey. Without a doubt, it's a mad, 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 mad world. The only thing you are sure of is that nothing is sure. Have a ball! Live it up! Only fools give it up to joy the unborn, but to sure. So be a happy gaffer, be a screamer, be a laugher, and find